0: You are Locked On Rockets, your daily Houston Rockets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
1: Happy game day, everyone. The Rockets are back in action tonight, that's Thursday night, in Utah for a nationally televised game on TNT against the Jazz in a rematch of last year's Western Conference semis. So it'll certainly be nice to have basketball back in our lives again after two straight off days, and the Rockets will hopefully be recharged after running out of gas in Monday's 103-91 just dramatic reversal in Minnesota, led by 19 in the first half, ultimately lost by 12, scoring just 29 in the second half and 9 in the fourth quarter. But when your basketball team is led by Gerald Morey as its GM, it's never just about what happens on the floor. And that's what we're going to be discussing, the Gerald Morey aspects, in today's show here at Lockdown Rockets. So with that, welcome in to a Thursday episode of the show. As always, I'm your host, Ben DuBose, Rockets correspondent with Sports Talk 790, the team's official radio flagship in Houston. And this is the show, the only daily show, that analyzes everything related to Houston Rockets basketball, both on the court and many times when Daryl Morey is your GM, what happens off the court, and that's what we're going to be breaking down in today's show because of reports that first leaked Tuesday night that the Rockets, by Friday's aggregation deadline, are in fact looking to make a trade using the roster spot they freed up by waiving Daniel House on Tuesday evening. I touched on it briefly in Tuesday night's show with Karthik Prasad. At the time, we knew House had been waived. We did not know what the intent was. It was a possibility that he was waived to free up a roster spot for Gary Clark, still on his two-way deal, the rookie undrafted player out of Cincinnati, and they could convert him to a regular contract. The reason I was a little skeptical of that is because, number one, he still has more than 10 days left on that two-way And secondly, if that were the intent, and this is a player who has fallen out of the rotation of late in favor of House, it'd be pretty simple to leak that that's the intent and or sign the deal. It's not that complicated because it's not like a young player like Gary Clark is going to get that much money. Well, it eventually leaked later Tuesday, first from Jonathan Fagan of the Houston Chronicle and then from Dave Hardesty at Clutch Fans, that the reason the Rockets are opening up that roster spot, they do hope to bring House back after all is said and done but the opening of the spot is because the Rockets are looking for an outside acquisition. I'm going to read the tweet from Dave Hardesty at Clutch Fans because I think this is the best high-level summary of it. The Rockets are hopeful and preparing as if they will make a trade before Friday's aggregation deadline, according to a source familiar with the situation. They're pursuing wing depth. Secondary pursuit is small deals that improve their flexibility at the trade deadline. Now, first things first. The aggregation deadline, what that means, Friday, that's tomorrow, is December 7th. That's the last day that players can be dealt and then traded again by the final trade deadline in early February. We've talked a lot about the significance of December 15th as a key date on the NBA trade calendar because that's when guys who were signed during the offseason can then be dealt anywhere in the league. Well, a lesser known but still important date is whatever day in early December is 60 days before the final trade deadline in February. And it gets back to the same dynamic that we saw play out with Brandon Knight and Marquise Chris during all the Jimmy Butler talks and having to wait until late October before the Rockets could make their full offer there. Because since the Rockets acquired them in late August, they had to wait 60 days until they could then be dealt in aggregation. That's where that comes from. You can trade them anywhere individually. But as far as packaging them with other salaries or assets, you have to wait 60 days. And for the Rockets, who always want peak flexibility at the trade deadline in February, they would rather do deals if there's going to be one in December. And it's a little bit difficult because, of course, they can't include the players such as Michael Carter-Williams, Carmelo Anthony, that will become trade eligible on December 15th. But in a perfect role, whoever they acquire in December would also, at least theoretically, be movable in bigger deals that may come across at the trade deadline in February. So there are a couple of very basic things that jump out to me from these reports. First, in terms of waving Daniel House, this is a player who jumped Gary Clark in the rotation. Mike D'Antoni has raved about him, as has increasingly played more minutes over the course of his week and a half or so for the Rockets. And this is a team that's 11-12 and and in need of any spark. We've talked at length this season about how the roster seemingly falls off a cliff after about the 9 or 10 spot. So for the Rockets to waive a player that was able to contribute for a very low cost, called up from the G League, but then ended up taking Gary Clark's minutes. Gary Clark, of course, is part of the reason they released Carmelo Anthony in the first place, because they felt like he could give them that level of production, or a certain level, that is, clearly not the same type of player. But then to have House usurp Gary Clark in that role That's not insignificant, and with a team that's already behind the eight ball and likely will be all year after starting four and seven, and is now still below 500, 11 and 12, now that we're past the quarter point of the season. And the Rockets do intend on bringing House back, assuming he clears waivers, but that's not a given, because he's a young player, he's quality, he's very low cost, so he certainly could be claimed, if nothing else from a rival team who wants to block the Rockets from getting what they want. So exposing House to the waiver wire, there's a chance he doesn't make it back. I think the Rockets want to retain him, and I think he wants to come back to the Rockets, according to the the quotes that House gave Mark Berman at Fox26 here in Houston. But ultimately, there's a risk when you put players through the waiver wire, and the Rockets are doing that because it opens up a roster spot. So the obvious takeaway that... I get from this is that there is some deal the Rockets already have in their back pocket right now that they are comfortable with. Because I don't think they would just speculatively expose House to the waiver wire and risk losing him, a player who has given them a lot over the past week and a half over something that could happen. I think there's clearly something that they know they can get to the finish line and that they are comfortable with. It's just a matter of whether they can get a bigger deal in the interim, so that's why they're pushing it back to the deadline of Friday. That's why I go back to Dave's tweet about how the primary pursuit is wing depth, but the secondary pursuit is small deals that improve their flexibility at the trade deadline. My guess is that there's something closer to that second tier that the Rockets are comfortable with executing right now. They're hoping they can get something higher on their list, but it may take some deadline pressure, basically saying tomorrow hey, we're going to execute this trade unless you come to the table and do this now. Do you want to miss the opportunity? And then we'll see if the deadline pressure forces a deal. But ultimately, I don't think that they expose House to the waiver wire and risk losing him if there's not something concrete that they can execute. That's one obvious takeaway. The other big thing that stands out to me is that you need to keep your expectations in check because... If part of your motivation for doing a deal is to theoretically be able to trade that player again in 60 days, it's probably not going to be a marquee acquisition. For example, we know the Rockets, as mentioned earlier, were after Jimmy Butler earlier this season. If the Rockets got Jimmy Butler, it would not have mattered whether they acquired him by December 7th because they weren't going to be even remotely open to moving him later that season. He's a game changer. This, whatever it is, is not something of anywhere near that magnitude. If you think you might need to move that player again, it's less about adding to your core, and it's more about just fixing the depth issues that we've discussed all season long that the Rockets need more consistency after about the 9 or 10 spot in their roster. It's someone that, for now, can be a nice band-aid long-term isn't essential to the composition of this team and its core. So to put some parameters on it, I think whoever they're looking at acquiring, it's someone that they feel is better or at least a safer bet than Daniel House at the low end because they're risking losing House to get this player. But at the high end, it's not someone that they would consider a part of their core moving forward because there's such an emphasis on Friday as an aggregation deadline and the potential of trading them again a couple months from now. So I think those are kind of the parameters with which you should look at such a deal.
0: This is Jake from Locked On. Locked On has teamed up with State Farm to spotlight some of the greatest supporting players in NBA history. After beating the Heat, led by LeBron James and Dwayne Wade in 2011, Dirk Nowitzki won an NBA title and proved himself to be one of the greatest basketball players of all time. But there was one player in the starting lineup for the last three games of the finals that helped support Dirk all the way to a championship, J.J. Barea. Led by J.J. and Jason Terry, the Mavs' second unit proved to be the strength throughout the playoffs, where they led the NBA in bench scoring. But for games four, five, and six in the NBA finals, Mavs coach Rick Carlisle inserted Barea into the starting five to help the Mavs space the floor and put more playmaking around Dirk. J.J. Barea had a knack for running the pick-and-roll with Dirk that helped the Mavs score more efficiently on their run to a title. Dirk Nowitzki couldn't score the way he did if he didn't have much-needed support from someone like J.J. Barea. Sometimes, you and I need that kind of support, too. Think of State Farm like a pivotal team player. When you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember the jingle and just say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.
1: Now, the first segment of the show was spent largely... Discussing the parameters and what at the low end Rockets fans should expect from a trade by Friday, which in my opinion is better than Daniel House. There's a reason they freed up the roster spots, something is going to happen, but at the high end, nothing at a level that would dramatically change the team's core. Because since they're looking at being able to trade the player again potentially in two months. There's nothing on the front burner unless something comes together at the very last minute with this so-called deadline pressure that would dramatically change the current composition of the team. I think looking at the possibilities, the overwhelming likelihood is that this is a depth move to make them feel a little bit better about the spots 10, 11, 12 on the roster that have really plagued them so much this season anytime there are an injury or two. In this segment, I want to speculate a little more and discuss both who the Rockets might be acquiring, and also who they might be giving up, assuming those parameters. And I'll start with who they're going to give up, because looking at the Rockets' salary sheet, I would be floored if Brandon Knight or Marquise Chris are not in this trade. Those are the only two names that, as far as matching salaries, that I keep coming back to. And yes, theoretically, they can move future draft picks, but keep in mind, future draft picks do not have any cash value as far as matching salaries, which the Rockets have to do because they are well over the cap. So you have to give something off of your current roster to make a trade work. I think we can all agree they're not going to trade Chris Paul, James Harden, or Clint Capella. The big three are going nowhere. And, of course, Chris Paul isn't even eligible because he signed in the offseason. Like all the other offseason signings, he can't be dealt until December 15th. But that's not happening regardless. And I also don't think they're trading Eric Gordon or P.J. Tucker because, as mentioned, I don't think this is a Jimmy Butler-type acquisition. If you're looking at Friday, doing it by December 7th so that you can retrade them later this season, theoretically, I don't see a deal of that magnitude being anywhere close to fruition for the Rockets, and if it's not a deal of that magnitude, they're not going to trade Gordon or Tucker. And then you look at the rest of the roster, James Ennis, Carmelo Anthony, Gerald Green, Michael Carter-Williams, all of these guys signed in the offseason, so they cannot be dealt until December 15th. So if a deal is happening this week, you've basically just got five players from which you can deal from to match salaries. Brandon Knight, Marquise Chris, Nene, Joe Chi, And Isaiah Hartenstein, although I think, actually, Hartenstein signed a new deal this offseason as well, so I don't think he is eligible to be dealt until December 15th either. So I think, really, you're at four players, the two newbies in Brandon Knight and Marquise Chris, Nene, and Joe Chi, who's on that small MLE-level deal. And the reason I don't expect it to be Chi, he's only making $1.4 million per season, and whoever the Rockets acquire is probably going to be making a lot more money than that. Because the only players that are potential rotation pieces making anywhere near you know, $1 to $2 million a year, basically minimum territory, are young players on their first contracts. And I don't care who you are, if it's a serviceable player making that limited of a figure and likely under club control for a long time, Why would they be dealt? No matter the situation, those are the most valuable assets in the NBA. So whoever the Rockets acquire is not going to be a player making next to nothing. So I'm pretty confident that Joe Chi is not the centerpiece. Not saying he can't be thrown into a deal, but I certainly don't see Joe Chi at a draft pick being all there is to an offer because that's just not going to work salary-wise. And even if Hartenstein were eligible to be traded, which I don't believe he is, the same would apply to him because he's not even making $1 million this season. So it comes back to those three veterans, Knight, Chris, and Nene. I don't think it'll be Nene because at 36 years old, he's not that valuable to other teams around the league. He's got more value to Houston than he does otherwise. The Rockets also assigned Hartenstein, speaking of him, to the G League this week, and I think that's in part because they have Nene as their backup center for the foreseeable future. So I think it really comes down to two guys. If it's a smaller salary, Marquise Chris, and potentially you could throw in Joe Chi as well, or if it's a bigger salary you're acquiring, it could be Brandon Knight, who of course is making $14.6 million. And from the Rockets' standpoint, looking at what's plagued them this season through 23 games, Brandon Knight and Marquise Chris are two guys that have not been a part of the rotation. So if you can get a functional piece for a deal with one of them as the main salary piece going out then yeah, it does upgrade your depth because Chris has been unplayable. And Brandon Knight, it's unclear what he has left in the tank coming off an ACL injury and then an infection in that surgically repaired knee that cost him training camp and the start to this season. Now, it does appear that Knight, after going through a rehab stint earlier this week with the Rio Grande Valley Vipers, is close to returning. He went through his full uh, his first full practice with the Rockets in Salt Lake City this week before Utah that game on Thursday night. So whether it be with the Rockets or somewhere else, it does appear that he is close to returning the form, and that could make him a potential rotation piece for someone, be it here in Houston or somewhere else, if his salary is needed to bring in a larger piece. And in terms of who the Rockets could theoretically acquire, I mentioned earlier in the first segment that I think whoever it is is probably going to be a bit underwhelming to anyone hoping for a major move just because of the reality that if they want to theoretically be able to trade this player later in the same season, it's not going to be a name that's going to be eye-popping when you hear it. It's going to be about depth more than it is just a radical transformation of the core of this team. But if I had to guess, I would say the Rockets are looking at large expiring or close to expiring contracts. For example, if you trade Brandon Knight, a couple of names that jump out to me would be J.R. Smith from Cleveland or Jamari Carroll from Brooklyn. And they're not the only players of those types. They do fit the wing depth criteria in terms of being able to hit threes and provide at least something on the defensive end that Dave Hardesty at Clutch Fans laid out. But I think if their contractual status and there are other potential fits in that same vein that make them potentially viable for the Rockets in December. Because the way Daryl Morey typically thinks and the way he looks about it, He's searching for market inefficiencies. And in other words, what player might be more valuable on the market in February than he currently is on the market in December? And to me, that's where expiring contracts could come into play. Brandon Knight is not, because $14.6 million per season for two years, he's 26 years old, so he's young, and conceivably he could have some upside. So for a team that's unlikely to draw free agents next summer he could have value as sort of a flyer, a lottery ticket, if you will. But there are going to be some teams that aren't quite ready to make a push this year, but are close enough that they could be players next summer for some of the marquee free agents in what should be a loaded class led by Kevin Durant. And that's where the Rockets, if they had one of these big expiring or near expiring, for example, J.R. Smith, who we know is working on some sort of exit with the Cavs, very similar to Kamala Anthony looking for an exit from Houston. J.R. Smith isn't technically an expiring, but his guaranteed figure for the next season is very small at $3 million, so he may as well be expiring even if he's not technically by the letter of the contract. The reason I could see the Rockets looking for players in this tier is because right now, I don't think there are that many sellers. We've said before that with so much parity in the NBA, and especially in the Western Conference, everyone thinks that they at least have a path to being a playoff team this year, or nearly everyone, certainly not the Phoenix Suns, but Trevor Ariza, of course, is not tradable until December 15th, so even if you're thinking, well, the Rockets had Ariza before and you want him back, it's not going to happen in this deal. It could theoretically down the road via a trade or buyout, but I think it's much more likely that this is a deal that is someone that is not a prior Rocket. But to circle back to the point, for the Rockets, if there aren't that many sellers right now, it's not that there's not going to be down the road. Eventually, there are going to be haves and have-nots, just like any other season in NBA history. It's just taking a little bit longer to get to that point than would normally be the case by early December. So if the Rockets don't have the mega deal that they want, the exact piece available that they think would put them over the top at the moment, then the best way to position themselves for that in February would be to acquire the type of contract that could potentially land them an impact player. Because when a team eventually says that, okay, this isn't our year and we're a have not, the more likely course of action is going to be selling off veterans that are win-now pieces for more flexibility in the coming off season. And that's what the Rockets right now can't really offer because any of the salaries of any significance on this team are multiple years. The Rockets don't have marquee free agents coming off the books in 2019. So if there's a market inefficiency that Gerald Morey might can exploit, it's that right now these larger expiring or close to expiring one-year contracts. They probably aren't that desired around the NBA because there aren't very many teams that are willing to punt on their current season and effectively say, we're playing for cap space in July 2019. It's too early for that. But with the Rockets, they have this dual need of, A, any depth in the interim. We've talked about that ad nauseum the last couple of weeks. But beyond that, they could get help now through acquiring a larger expiring one-year deal or close to it and then potentially get more flexibility at the trade deadline by having a contract that is more desirable around the league because of its potential use as a cap-clearing mechanism than whatever they can offer now, most likely starting with Brandon Knight. So I'm not saying it has to be J.R. Smith or Jamari Carroll. Those are just a couple of names that jump out to me at first glance looking at contracts around the league that might fit the criteria that I laid out and names that we know are on the market But generally speaking, I think those are the types the Rockets are going to be looking for. I think Daryl Morey's main priority here is how do we get help now while also potentially putting us in a better position for a larger deal that might really help us by the trade deadline. And so to me, it's not just about what the player does on the basketball floor, it's also how attractive his contract is or will be seen around the league and so to me that's a huge part of the calculus here for the Rockets it's about getting the kind of piece even if it's not the final piece that they need that's necessarily going to put them over the hump it could be a contract that's more desirable come February than whatever they can offer at the moment
0: the NBA playoffs are right around the corner and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
1: The final point I want to get to in our three points recap is that it's not without risk. You heard me mention J.R. Smith and Damari Carroll as a couple of names that I'm curious about in the last segment. Of course, there are other big expiring or close to expiring contracts in the same vein that could help the Rockets from a depth perspective now, but also be tradable again at the deadline in February to a team wanting to clear cap space to make a run for big free agents in the summer of 2019. Even though it sounds good on paper, there's risk to it. And the risk for Houston primarily is, are you selling too low on Brandon Knight? Now, again, it doesn't have to be Brandon Knight. You could make a deal with Marquise Chris and Chi and, between adding those two together, get close to $6 million in terms of salaries you could accept back. But the reason I have a tough time believing it's that, if there's a player making that limited value that's potentially useful to the Rockets, in my opinion, the odds are they're probably not going to be dealt this early in the year. Because if it's a small contract that's potentially a playable guy, then the odds are, especially this early in the season teams aren't really going to be looking to sell them off. So that's why I sort of suspect that Knight is more likely to go than Chris. I would like it to be Chris because I think Knight has more upside, but I think it's Knight that's more likely to go just because the odds are is that the salary the Rockets bring in is probably going to be a larger one. I just don't know where the smaller salaries are. Now, Gerald Morey is one of the most creative GMs in the league. Maybe he finds one, but... When you're talking about maybe $5, 6000000 million or less in annual value, that makes it really tough to find a guy that would be an upgrade to this rotation over Daniel House, who was given the Rockets pretty good and at a very cheap rate production over the past week. So in terms of downsides, certainly losing House is one of them, because exposing him to the waiver wire. yeah, he's making next to nothing. We said earlier, he could be claimed. And for a team that's 11 and 12 and has had depth issues all year long, there's a risk to that. But I think the greater risk, if they trade Brandon Knight, is that they're selling low because whatever his value is right now, it would be stronger if he comes back, and the Rockets know more about his medicals than any of us do, so you have to keep that in mind, but if he comes back and plays well over the next month or so, and it sounds like he's very close, be it for the Rockets or someone else, then yeah, that could improve his value down the road, and so that's a part of the calculus the Rockets are going to have to consider because... With this deal, if it involves Brandon Knight, he has zero track record in the last two NBA seasons. You have to go back quite a ways to look at his production, and of course, that's going to be a negative on his overall value. And I'm sure there are some that will go even further and say, well, why couldn't Knight be the piece that the Rockets need, rather than look elsewhere? I'm not that optimistic on that, because even when he was healthy, Brandon Knight was not a good defensive player at all. And ever since the Indiana game, when the Rockets entered at 4-7, and seven, the Rockets have been close to the league's best offense, and entering Monday night, they were the number one offense. Now, I know they hit the skids Monday night in Minneapolis, 29 in the second half, but that had a lot to do with scheduling factors, three games in four nights, seven and 11 nights, six different cities. We've discussed that before. Generally speaking, for the past three weeks or so, the Rockets' offense has been dynamic. The issue comes back, especially after losing Trevor Ariza and Luke Bamute in the offseason, to the defensive end of the court, and even when healthy, Brandon Knight is not really that fit. So I don't think the Rockets' ever looked at Brandon Knight as a long-term fixture in Houston. I think the primary reason, and I've said it plenty of times before, that they brought him here and that they sent Ryan Anderson and Anthony Melton to Phoenix is because they viewed Brandon Knight at 26 years old making below $15 million a year as a better trade asset around the league than Ryan Anderson at $30 million do- uh, at 30 years old making $20 million a year for the next two seasons. Same contract length. But a younger player, less annual value. It was always about Brandon Knight having superior trade value to Ryan Anderson. That's the reason that he was brought here. Anything he gives you on the court is a bonus. But in terms of making a deal happen now, what the Rockets would effectively be doing for the upside of being able to theoretically flip whoever they acquire in December again at February, basically for the benefit of flexibility. The opportunity cost is improving Knight's stock by putting him on the basketball floor. So if the Rockets make a deal with Brandon Knight now, it's not like it's easy. That is effectively the gamble that they would be making. Because no, Brandon Knight is not at peak value. If he comes back and plays well, theoretically for the Rockets, starting very soon, including Thursday night in Utah, if he plays well, then yeah, I think that could reduce a lot of the fears about his injury around the league and potentially improve his value. The question for Daryl Morey is, is that scenario, is the upside of that worth it compared to the downside of not having the flexibility to then deal whoever you ultimately trade night for again in February to diminish your flexibility in terms of what salaries you have at your disposal for the February deadline. And as we've said, going back to when Ryan Anderson was here, that salary spot is very important for the Rockets. Because if they're going to acquire a player of any significance, that salary slot, what used to be Ryan Anderson and is currently Brandon Knight, is the only non-essential piece that the Rockets have to offer in a trade. Because if that spot is off-limits, and if you trade it after December 7th, it would be, then the only way the Rockets could acquire any player of significance would be trading Eric Gordon and or P.J. Tucker, which I don't think they have any interest in doing. Because that would cut away at the core of a team that we know at least a year ago was good enough to win 65 games and have the Warriors all but beaten in the Western Conference Finals. And another reason why I tend to think it's more Brandon Knight than Marquise Chris, I don't know that there's a huge sense of urgency if you can acquire a $5, 6000000 million a year player for Marquise Chris and perhaps Joe Chi throw it in there to add a little bit more salary. Is a player of that magnitude really all that essential to be able to be traded again? Because you still have Nene as what I see as a non-essential piece in that same general value tier that you could throw in at the trade deadline if you need somewhere someone in that, say, three to $5 million space. If there's a need to get a deal done now, what makes by far the most sense is that it's that Brandon Knight salary slot Because that's the slot that is so important to the Rockets moving forward in that if they're going to acquire a piece of any significance, i.e. someone probably making a decent chunk of money from another team, then that's the only non-essential way the Rockets can acquire it without deeply cutting into the core of their current team. So to me, all of those factors point to Brandon Knight being the guy who could go out Now, that's not to say it has to be. Certainly, a Marquise Christel wouldn't floor me. But I think Knight is the more likely scenario. And if that's the case, it's not without risk. Because effectively, what the Rockets would be deciding is that the flexibility of having that slot able to be dealt in February and theoretically having a better contract than what Knight currently is, is worth the downside of not letting Brandon Knight go on the basketball floor and increase his value by putting forth a string of good production. There's certainly some risk to it, it's just the Rockets being an 11-12 and 12 basketball team with expectations of contending for a title, well, you're at a point where you have to take risk, and ultimately, my hunch is that this is one that they are on the verge of taking. Anyway, though, we'll see what happens tomorrow, because Friday is the unofficial aggregation deadline around the NBA, that's when deals have to be completed in order for the player acquired to be movable in aggregation by the early February trade deadline, the 60-day period having time to expire prior to the deadline, in other words. Of course, we'll have more content on the trade front whenever a deal breaks, either today or tomorrow, but for now, this is where we will leave off, and of course, later tonight, or more likely early tomorrow, we'll actually have basketball to discuss with our recap of a late Thursday night game that the Rockets have nationally televised on TNT against the Utah Jazz. As stated, I think we'll hold off our recap until Friday based on the late start out in Salt Lake City tonight. But if you want more content in the interim before our next show, the best place to get it is on Twitter. I'm sure that's where the trade will break. And if you're not already following me on there, I'm on there at Ben DuBose. That's my handle, just simply my name. The show is on there at Locked on Rockets. Be on Twitter, we've also got a Facebook account, facebook.com slash Rockets, a website, LockedOnRockets.com, an email address, Rockets at gmail.com. All those are ways you can access our prior content, ask me questions about the team, make suggestions for the show, advertising inquiries, pretty much anything we do to make this a better podcast for you, the diehard Rockets fan, or even you, the human being. Don't hesitate to reach out and let me know. Also... In addition to following me on Twitter and the other platforms, if you'd be kind enough to subscribe, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify... Tune in. The odds are, wherever you listen to your podcast, you can find Lockdown Rockets because we're part of a great network of local experts across the NBA, NFL, even some Major League Baseball and college sports. That gives us a lot of reach, which means we're on a lot of platforms. So if you would subscribe to us and leave us a five-star review, that's how you'll get the benefit of getting episodes right when they come out delivered to your inbox, and we get the benefit of boosting our subscriber figures and our rating figures and looking attracted to potential advertisers and keeping the business model running here at Lockdown Rockets as the only daily podcast covering Houston Rockets. Rockets basketball. So for now, this is where we will break. Of course, the Rockets have a game tonight, an important one against the Utah Jazz, also underachieving in the Western Conference. So, national TV, both teams below expectations. This would be a big one to get. So, afterward, we'll certainly have a recap of that game. And then we'll also have a recap of whatever the Rockets do on the trade front, which could come later today, or more likely, in my opinion, on Friday, because it's Daryl Morey. And with Daryl and GMs like that, things typically come down to the actual deadline. Whatever the case, though, and whenever it happens, we will be here to break it all down right here at Locked on Rockets, your home for daily podcast commentary on Houston Rockets basketball.
0: Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked on podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.